All right. Well, hey, Mark, thanks so much for joining me today. Of course. I, uh, I appreciate you uh, working through uh, some, some technical hiccups that we just had and then also allowing me to interview you while I uh, sit in my car. <laughs> You're amazing, man. I hope your students know how lucky they are to have you, man. Seriously. Well, I, I tell them that all the time. So <laughs> just kidding. Um, so, hey, what I want to do, um, you've done this, I think, three times now. So this will be lucky number four. Um, you know, I uh, and my students know that every time I – um, have a guest speaker. I ask them, you know, when somebody asks you what you do for a living, how do you respond? So that's the first question for you. It's funny that the answer to that, I think last time I said, I don't like that question. My better, the better way to answer it is what have I done in the last three days? But I think since we've last spoke, actually, I've been able to synthesize a lot of my learnings. And so I, I kind of have a good answer now. And okay, so when great. people ask me, what do I do? I say that I help people think differently. Okay. Well, I imagine in the next uh, 10 to 20 minutes, we'll learn what that really means. Uh, but before we get to that, um, I'd love to dive into your background. And if you could sort of give us the 30,000 view of you know where you're from and, and how you came to be who you are. Where'd you grow up, Mark? <laughs> uh, I grew up in Morton Grove, uh, Illinois, but I moved to Glenview. So I'm actually a Glenbrook South alumni, proud Titan alumni. Almost didn't graduate from Glenbrook South because I was a little bit of a, not a great student and a bit of a troublemaker, but uh, I made it out of South and my background uh, was actually in formal education. So I was a Chicago public school teacher for about 13 years. Uh, from there, I started a nonprofit that helped inner city Chicago kids link up with really innovative companies for a mentorship uh, program I developed. And then from there, I started working on my own as an innovation consultant, really helping people think differently about everything from marketing and pitching to business business strategy, product development um, within their business or nonprofit. So that uh, nonprofit organization, that was Science Fist, is that correct? Yeah, totally. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Just I think it's interesting, um, I think, as a sort of case study of how entrepreneurial thinking doesn't necessarily only apply to like a startup business, but can also apply in the nonprofit sector. Yeah, yeah. I think also when I hear you say that, it makes me think of Seth Godin always says, live a life projects. Whereas, you know, my parents and the parents before them, they had, you know, careers and they went to a company or a place and they worked there until they died. We're seeing now where everybody's got ideas, but the ability to bring those ideas to life and, and having kind of the cojones to do that is what really sets an entrepreneur apart. So you're right. Entrepreneurship and, and that entrepreneurial thinking does not have to be contained to a, a, a product or a service offering. And so science fist for me was, I saw pain in the world. I was an inner city school teacher working in a pretty rough neighborhood on the West side of Chicago. Um, that was kind of one part of my network was all these teachers and, and, and principals. And on the other end of my network, I, you know, was like a hustler, dude. I was at side gigs. I knew people that were hustling at these really cool companies doing cool stuff. And I just saw that these companies wanted to get in and help schools and these schools needed help, but there was nobody playing the conduit for them. And so that that was the, the genesis of the foundation. And then it went through lots of pivots. I'm sure you, your students are used to hearing that word pivot, but when we first started, the whole idea was, oh, I'm going to take all the after school science programs and I'm going to find schools that want science programs and I'm going to like match them up and play matchmaker for them. From there, I found that there was like a, a missing piece. Like they, there was straight science stuff. There was like the Adler Planetarium, the Museum of Science and Industry, the Shedd Aquarium, 
all these different sciences, but I didn't see anybody tackling like innovation and just design thinking and like really solving problems, right? And so that's when the first pivot of Science Fist was, let's create like a 10 week innovation challenge where students in the inner city find a problem, they link up with a mentor, they go through the ideation process and they come up with a prototype for a solution. And uh, so that was pretty cool. Very cool. So um, you did, so you taught, um for a number of years in Chicago public schools. And then um, I, I remember from previous discussions, you talked about how you had um, an opportunity to take a semi-administrative position in a different yeah. school. And for yeah. a number yeah. of reasons that you know ended up not being the thing that you did for a long time, but then you got into this the space of entrepreneurship. Could you talk a little bit about um, what that process was like? Like, how did you go from the, the, the comfort of a steady paycheck um, you know, a pension, um, and, and so on and so forth, uh, to, to the uncertainty of being an entrepreneur. So I wish I had a really romantic, awesome story where I was like, I was like going on my own, but I kind of got pushed out of the position I was in. I was a little, a little too Mark and they were a little more kind of boxed and it just wasn't a good fit. Um, and so I was kind of let go. I, they didn't renew my contract. And so, you know, to me, that was a huge point in the road. It's like, oh my gosh, like where are my options? I, I, I mean, I guess in some ways, you know, I didn't have the credentials at that point, I think to go back in the classroom. And, and there was just like, I had all this other business that was brewing. I already had clients that were paying me to do it. And I just saw the opportunity for that route. And so I was kind of thrown into the fire to go full in on my own. And so that's really how that happened. I, again, I wish there was this more, you know, sexy story about like, oh, I took it on my own. But no, man, I got bounced out of a gig and I was forced to go on my own. I think, you know, that's the, the quote that in the face of advice of adversity lies opportunity. Um, you know, I think that that rings true for, for a lot of reasons. Um, I'm wondering if you, can you talk about you said you had these clients like what what were you doing at that point when? Like, yeah, so, yeah. So I guess this brings us to the how do you help people think creatively and think differently? Yeah. So what's I think so you had talked about like the entrepreneurial mindset. I think that's so important is the idea that like you understand that you can help other people either through a, you see a problem in the world and you have a product that will help or a service that can help. In my, in my um, kind of story, it was really hard because all the stuff that I had always done, like, and again, you asked like how I got to where I got, like we are always building throughout our lives, all of our struggles, all of our triumphs, all of our failures, they all are building things within us and we take them for granted. And so the hardest thing for people to do that have this mindset is to have that moment where they're like, oh my God, I can help people with this. It's not just, it's like people will pay me to be Mark and just to think the way that I think, you know, with some formalization of it. And so at that point, when the clients that I had, it was things where I just saw like, hey, people running like, really dumb meetings and they were like taking forever to like come up with ideas and it just things took forever. And so I was like, I can help you get through this stuff like that. That was my first offering. It was like, let me sit down, let me help consult you through how to go from an idea that you have and just really make sure that it's the right idea. And so that was like the first few clients I had was helping them really use a design thinking method to say, hey, who are your users? Like you might just have an idea, but that's you. What does the world need? help with 
And does your idea help? So literally it was just helping people map out like their thoughts. And that was like the first offering from there. I was like, Hey, what else can I do that I enjoy doing that people will pay me for? And I was like, Oh, like I love drawing. So I, I, you know, taught myself how to graphic record live notes, got a few gigs doing stuff like that. Then there was another pivot, which was like social media marketing. I love, I love social media. People were like, Hey, can you make my social media look like yours? I'm like, yeah, I can teach you how to do that. They're like, how much does it cost? I'm like, I'll get right back to you. Google, how much does social media marketing cost? And that's literally how I started like another small little business. It lived for about a year, but made some good income for my family, like helping people with their, you know, social media strategy. I'm wondering, can you break down sort of the business end of what consulting looks like? Yeah. So consulting essentially is people paying you for what's in your mind, right? Uh, there'll always be a deliverable and some, I mean, like I'm like the anti consultant. So like these big like consult, let me answer your questions before I go off on like a thing. <laughs> the business of consulting is, is people paying you that so you can help them with a the challenge that they're having. You're getting paid for your expertise, right? Um, I'm not a carpenter. I don't know how to build homes. People don't pay me for that, right? I'm not a DJ. People don't pay me to make music. I help people think about what's in your head, what's that problem, and how can you solve that problem? So the business side of that, um, I guess if this is kind of what you wanted is like, how do you make money doing that, right? You have to have a process on how you onboard your clients. So I have like a five-step process for making sure that by the time I get to the proposal where I'm going to say, hey, you pay me this much and I'll do these things for you, I make sure it's exactly what they want. So you have to have a process for that. And then some people bill by the project or they bill by the hour. So, uh, you know, again, a project would be like, hey, I need help with my social media. Cool. I can walk you through the first three months of setting it up, getting your channels optimized, yeah. Or it's like, hey, I'll just work for you whenever you need help and it's this much per hour. And so that's kind of like the business side of things. And and I ebb and flow between different models within there. So essentially you have, you know, some form of expertise that companies hire you to, you know, um, share with them so that they can take whether it's a strategy or a process, or maybe it's it's a strategy and process towards getting towards some end so that um, they can you know, achieve their objective, um, ideally with the, the idea of, you know, increasing their profitability. But then once you're done with that project, you're sort of done and on to a new project, correct? Potentially. Yeah. I mean, if it's stuff that's super exciting, I'm always like, Hey, you, you have a board, you need a board member. Like I'd love to, like, if it's a passion project, I'm like, how can I help you out with this stuff? You know, for me, I try to take I try to find the clients and help the clients find me where there's a really good match. Like not everybody that has money is a good customer or a good client, right? Even if they, even if you could help them, it doesn't mean they're the right fit. At least for me, I want to make sure it's a good fit that people value how, how I'm going to do what I'm going to do. They value the expertise that I can bring, you know, people that want to move slow, not the right, you know, I have like a little matrix I've told you about that like helps me identify kind of the right client for me. And so, um, yeah, some consultants again are like, "Hey, once I'm done with the project, we're done, and I can move on to another project." That could okay, happen. Great. Um, so I have a couple of questions from students. Actually, I they sent them to your website to check you out and, and to your Instagram. They oh. may have gained a few followers. So Olivia asked, um, "How much money did it take to start your business? Was there a, a large capital investment?" To, to no, get going? No, not at all. Um, and again, I've had several businesses, but on the consulting side, no, it literally is like buy your domain on like Wix or Squarespace, 
make a website that I made on Wix. So it's, it's got like no coding into it. I'm not tracking anything crazy. I just need a place online and where people can go to learn about me. The biggest financial thing that you're going to really find is that as you consult, your time is money. So I literally am at a point now where I'm like, oh, I need to email you back. There, there's a fee for that if we're working in that model. And so, no, there's not a lot of money needed to start up. But what I would say for people that want to go consulting, you do have to build up a little savings account, you know, of some, so you have money until these clients start coming in. Yeah. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about what um, going off on your own in this regard looks like. I mean, I imagine, you know, you don't just like hang your shingle and then all of a sudden there's a line out the door waiting to hire you, but it, it sort of slowly builds. And I wonder if you could talk about um, how momentum plays a role in what you do. Yeah. So, um, I'm not going to go to my whiteboard here, but there's a Venn diagram of people of influence that I think about. So one is Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss talks about, you know, the four hour work week. He talks about maximum output with minimal effort. Seth Godin is a marketing genius. Seth Godin talks about really marketing yourself intelligently and really how people start to um, accept ideas. And then there's like a Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Gary V talks a lot about being honest, being humble and documenting your journey. So somewhere in between doing things really effectively, making sure you're getting that stuff to the right people and then documenting yourself along the way. To me, that's how you market yourself as a consultant. So you don't have to be everywhere, but you do have to be where your clients or pers prospective clients are. And so again, for me, like at my, at, at the peak where when Instagram was really hot for me. And again, I do not have a, like a huge following at all, but about 90% of my clients came through my Instagram. Cause I knew that's where I could get them. I, you know, that's where I was putting out stuff that they were like, Oh, that's cool. Tell me more about that. I'm like, sweet. Now you're in, let's talk. Let me help you. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, you're right. There's not a line out the door. The momentum is built. When you get a client, you document everything you're doing, you know, working from coffee shops, putting a proposal together, all that behind the scenes stuff helps people realize that you're a human being. I think that's a challenge with other types of consultants is when you hire a Deloitte or, you know, a, a McKinsey or a Bain, like you don't know who you're getting. But when you hire Mark, like, you're just getting Mark. And I'd rather, I kind of like me and Mark. That's who I am. Very cool. Uh, what were some of the hurdles for you to getting started? Maybe either psychologically or just like actual practical hurdles that you faced in getting started in your line of work? Yeah. Some of the hurdles would be the change in income, you know, go, like you said, going from a steady paycheck, health insurance, you know, pension, things like that. Like just driving to an office every day, got a secretary, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, uh, it's just me. And now I, I'm on the hook. Like there's no sick days. There's no vacation leave. There's, you know, there's no paycheck coming in unless I go out and I hustle for that paycheck. And so for me, um, you know, I wrestled when I was at South. I was not good. I got my ass kicked all the time. But one thing that wrestling and lacrosse teaches you is how to win and how to lose well. And so in business, that is a huge thing is like, Failure, you're going to fail, but you have to be able to learn from your failures. And so psychologically for me, I was like, I can't, I, I, I just, I have like a family and I need to make this work. So it was all about making it work. Very cool. Um, I'm wondering if uh, you could talk about your process um, or maybe processes that you use when you decide to do something. I know in the past you've talked about Derek Silver, uh, uh, Sivers, 
um, you know, hell yes or no. Yeah. Um, or uh, you know, how did you decide, like, this is a career path that I want to journey down? Um, what, how do you think about those types of decisions? Well, it's funny. I think if you asked me that, even like a month ago, it would probably be a different answer. Right now, when, when you ask me that about, actually, ask me the question again, please. I'm sorry. So we'll sort of break it down into two steps. Um, one is what uh, frameworks do you use for decision making? We'll, we'll start with that one. Okay. So for decision making, as it relates to my business, I think about how much time is it going to take? I think about, is it the stuff that I'm good at? And is it exciting to me? Those are the things that I think about. Sorry, my phone's all weird. So if it's something that is like, hey, this is not going to be a five-year engagement, but it's like, we need help now and it's going to move quick. Good. I like good, fast-paced work. Two, is it stuff that I'm good at? Is it something where I know that I can come in and I can provide help and value to them immediately? Yes. And then finally, like, is this like a cool thing that I would actually want to do? And like, you know, tell my kids, like, dude, I'm doing this cool thing or like throw on my Instagram, you know, like this is cool stuff. If it hits those things, that's a good decision-making process for me. Um, I think in other ways on maybe the less objective side where you can check it off. I think lately I've been thinking a lot about like, does your work does it like honor all the previous versions of you, right? So for any of the students watching this, like you're a different person right now in Mr. McFadden's class than you were a year ago. And you're a much different person than you were when you were in like fifth grade. And you're a much different person when you were in kindergarten. And you're going to be a different person when you're in college. And when you're, you know, if you, if you go out and get a profession or you do this or that, trying to honor what you've learned across your whole life, to me, that's a good decision maker. If I was put in a position where like, yo, we're going to give you like a bajillion dollars and we are going to make overpriced, you know, like medications that poor people can't afford. I'd be like, no, not going to do that. Cause like dreadlock hippie Mark from Glenbrook South would be like, no way, man. And that's still who I am. I need to honor that. They're what you do. Thanks for those responses. Um, I'm wondering if you could uh, talk a little bit about what helps you. And this question comes from Mason. What helps you think creatively? Mason, you followed me on Instagram, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm going to send you a message today. Thank you, Mason. What helps me think creatively? Um, one is space having a good space to go to, whether it's intentional or not. You know, obviously people are like, Oh, I think, I come up with ideas in the shower. It's like, I don't, I just like bathe when I'm in the shower. But like for me having it, like this is my little like home studio that I'm rebuilding now. Cause I have, I just got another baby. And so my old office studio moved. So I had, I create a really meaningful space where I can do my work. The other thing that helps me think creatively is, is not being limited by anything. And so when I was a teacher, I used to tell people that kids are born scientists but then they go to school and sometimes, you know, there's like, Oh, this is the way we do things. But it's like, you could do anything you want to do. You really can. There's no ideas that are off limits. And so the things that help me creatively are finding a space, finding a good community of people of influence, you know, people like you that like help me really think you, you, you hit me up the other day. You're like, Hey, did you ever think about doing this? I'm like, Oh my God, I didn't. Now I'm going to do what you said. Um, so having good, I guess I would call it spaces, faces are really important, having those right people for inspiration. And then 
just doing the work. Like you got to do the work, man. You know, you want you want big biceps, you got to do the curls. You want abs, you got to do sit-ups. You want to be creative, set up time to do creative work, whether that's journaling, drawing, sketching, listening to music, taking out your phone and trying to make a video, like just make, create things. And when in that process, you'll find what works and what doesn't work. Very cool. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, Dropkit and then and what you learned from that experience. Yeah. So what is Dropkit to start off? Yeah, Dropkit. Um, I have a Dropkit right here. So Dropkit. So I'm a type 1 diabetic. I've been type 1 diabetic for like over 30 years. If you know any diabetics, they have to carry all their diabetes stuff with them. They always come in these ugly, frumpy, yuggy, ugly cases. So we made premium leather cases to carry all your stuff in. This one I actually use to carry all of my cords in and adapters for when I travel. So it's like a nice little case. This was a really interesting project. One, because it was born out of a need that I had. Uh, two is that it humbled me very quickly. You and I talked about this last time. Building a business where you're going to buy or you're going to create, design, manufacture and sell products, it is really hard. Uh, it's hard if you don't have a lot of money. If you have a lot of money in investors, it's going to be a little bit easier. Um, we did it like on zero to no budget with a little bit of investment from my other partners and myself. We quickly learned that the amount of effort it took to push on social media to our website, the products, it, it was almost unmanageable with other work that I had. As soon as we started selling on Amazon and investing a lot of money to get us higher ranked on Amazon, we started selling like 15, 20 kits a week. And so we are not continuing. We're not going to do another round, which is hard because people love the kit, but the economics of it for us don't work unless we're willing to go out and either find a lot of investors or a investor to really invest in us to do it, or we can make the kit for much less money. Plus, in all honesty, making stuff in China right now and getting into the U.S. is a little bit tricky. So probably best that we take a pause. Yeah. Very good. Last, Like, dude, like, am I hurt? Yeah. Like, I would have loved for this thing to work forever. Did I learn a lot? Oh, my God. I learned so much. Like, so much. Could you share any of the unexpected learnings that you gathered um, in, uh, you know, following a business model that was, you know, conceiving of a physical good, manufacturing it and then selling it, you know, direct to consumer? Like, what are some of the things that you didn't anticipate you would have learned that you then did end up learning? Oh, yes, dude. Okay. One. Okay. So some people say like, find your weaknesses and make them your strengths. Other people are like, no, do what you're great at and find other people that are great at their thing and let them do it. First thing I learned was hire or find a partner that is awesome at your weakness. So A, if, if, if we didn't have one of our partners who was an Amazon expert, we'd be really in bad shape, right? So one, I was like, when it got to the point where it's like, hey, we're going to Amazon, go at it, buddy, have fun, and he kills it. So one, first thing I learned, find somebody that's great at something that you're weak at and make them your friend and have them work with you or for you. Second thing that I worked is that um, you got to be humble, dude. Like you in, in, I'm sure I know you talk to your students about that point of like pivot or perseverance. It's like the lean startup Bible, but like it's real and you get to a point, you know, like I think about all these different pivots, not just in for Dropkit as an example, not just in how we were thinking about our business, but are we going to continue business or not? And like, those are hard hurdles to overcome. They're literally forks in the road. Are we done? Or are we going to continue? Right? Uh, are we going to continue to try to push people from our Instagram page to our sales page? 
or are we going to like go on, on Amazon? Those are hard things. And so I think the lesson there is recognize when you're at that point and just take a minute and breathe and be like, okay, what is the question we're trying to ask? And then answer the question and move on. Very cool. Um, so could you tell me what uh, you see in the near future for, for Mark DeHans? What, what's going on um, coming up here in the, the not too distant future for you? Um, a lot of fun stuff. I mean, a lot of uncertainty. I'll tell you that. There's just a lot of uncertainty. It's funny because the past two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I remember last time I walked out of your class, I saw a flyer and it was like all the other people that you had coming in. And I looked at them and I was like, oh, like those dudes are really, really big and important. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, I'm like a schmuck through these dudes, you know? So um, one thing that I've kind of gotten really okay with is like, you know, I'm not like Steve, I'm not a cameo, right? Like that's, that's not for me. That's not kind of where my work is. My work is, it's like Gary Vesey. You got to be really self-aware, right? I'm not that guy. I don't build a business that big that has millions and millions of dollars. It's just not who I am. I have to be okay with that. So when I say there's a lot of uncertainty coming up, it's kind of by design. It's the idea that like, you know, I work for, I have like a, a kind of a gig right now where I work for an innovation lab and there's some consistent work there. I have my own clients on my own side and I'm always developing stuff. Um, so what's happening right now in the next few weeks or months, one, my podcast is launching, which I'm really stoked about. Thank you for my, um, you know, <laughs> for your insight on that. I loved it. Um, Two is I'm actually still always looking for cool stuff. So like there's a cool opportunity that popped up at a really noble, a really noble company. And I like put my hat in the ring. I was like, yeah, let's see what they have to say, you know? Um, so yeah, I'm just like always doing more stuff, but always thinking differently about how to do the things that I do. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the podcast. What could we expect to hear on it? And um, have you thought about it? Um from a business perspective or is it more a creative output that could lead to business? It's both. I mean, I mean, there's no secret there. A lot of people use their podcasts for, you know, client generation and, and, you know, partnerships, et cetera. Um, for me, it was, it started off that like, everyone's like, dude, you should have a podcast. I'm like, well, why? They're like, you seem interesting. You know, a lot of interesting people. You're always doing stuff like you should, you should do something. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. So I sent out like an email to a bunch of people that I think are really interesting. They have unique stories and was like, Hey, I think I'm going to start a podcast. You want to be down? They're like, yep, we're in. I'm like, Oh my God, I have like 13 awesome guests that want to do this. Um, and so what you can expect from the podcast is about 20 to 25 minute episodes. Um, I'm trying to do video and audio at the same time. So it can be live on my YouTube because that helps generate more visibility for my business. Um, audio, just because most people are listening on audio. Um, but what you can expect is you're going to hear from a really, really diverse range of people that are thinking differently, either about how they do their work or how they live their life. So I've got the editor in chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. I've got a guy that was a ski coach who had a track accident and was now physically impaired and he completely changed his life and started a nonprofit that helps people that have tragic um, uh, incidents and accidents get back on their feet, get them surfing, skiing, snowboarding, mountain biking. Um, I've got a CrossFit legend who kind of lived a nomadic lifestyle with his wife and then started a business and just bought a farm in Santa Cruz, California. Uh, I've got a guy, I mean, all these different people that just have such unique stories to share. Uh, but 
to me, the, the, the thread of it all is that they think differently than your typical nine to fivers. They, they went out on their own. They did their own thing in some way. And is that the name of the podcast? Think different. As of right now, it's yeah. Think differently. All right, very cool. And when is that dropping? Um, I thought one of my kids was back there. I think, hey, who's back there, dude? Um, we are trying to drop the trailer next week. I'm editing my first three episodes right now. So keep cool. your eyes peeled. Um, I'm going to be running it all through my social just because, as you know, trying to run three to five different social profiles is crazy. So it'll all be coming from my stuff. So yeah, if people are interested, they should give a follow uh, to my Instagram and you'll see it all there for sure. That's actually, I think, a really interesting uh, tidbit that I want to sort of uh, bite into a little bit. Can you talk, what do you mean it's difficult to run multiple social accounts? So okay. What if you could like un unpack that a little bit about your decision to run it through your Mark Hans social media? Okay, dude. So running a social media account for your business, it is consuming. It's time consuming. You have to think about what type of content people want and what your value is to them. You have to create content that visually or video uh, or in words gets across what you're trying to, to say and the value you're trying to provide. You have to create it ahead of time. You have to schedule it, you know, promote it. You have to make sure your hashtag strategy is on point. You got to make sure you're taking really nice pictures and that. Then once you even post it, that's like the easy part of the hard stuff. Now you got to post it. You got to start looking at all the analytics. When are people viewing? What are they viewing? How are they interacting? If somebody comments on your stuff, you better comment like right away or reply or like. It's it's just an all-consuming thing. And so to do that for Mark D. Hands and then to do it for Dropkit and then to do it for Think Differently Podcast, it's it's like three full-time Yeah, I think it's really And easy. so for me, the idea is like I, again, as you know, What's that? I was just saying, I think it's really easy um, for like a startup business in the early stages to say, oh, well, we're just going to use social media as if it's a trivial thing. Um, but I think it's important to sort of point out that actually running a quality social media um, you know, platform, whatever it is, is a lot of work. Dude, you know what it's like? Like you could go in your driveway and you can like shoot hoops, right? Or you can go to like the park and play in like a pickup game. Or maybe you get like an intramurals thing. Or maybe you're on like your varsity team. Like there's so much. Or you could be like the NBA greatest of all time. There are levels to this game. None of them are wrong. None of them are better than other. But if you if, if you want to be thinking about what your goal is to like use social to drive your business. And again, it works. Dropkit, like I was able to drive Uh, they, and they were buying kit. It's just a lot of work. Okay, yeah. Okay. Thanks. I'm glad that you were able to unpack that a little bit. Um, I don't want to take up too much uh, more of your time, um, but I did want to ask us maybe one final question, um, which is if you were to give any words of advice to aspiring entrepreneurs, um, you know, what would they be? You know, it's funny. Um, <laughs> I would say always be honest. If you just always be honest, be true. Um, ask for help often. I This is a good piece of advice. Always have a list of three things that you need help with for your business. So when you meet somebody, hey, what do you do? Oh, I do this. this. Oh, that's so cool, man. What are you up to now? Because actually, right now, um, I'm looking for more subscribers on my Instagram profile because I'm launching my podcast. I'm looking for guests 
you know, from my podcast and, uh, you know, um, I'm looking to meet more like diabetics or something. Just have that list, right? For, for students in your class. Oh, we're looking for investors to give a $10,000 investment, right? Or we're looking for, um, you know, advisors to have a one hour coffee twice a week. Be specific and have that list. The other thing I think about is um, I think it's timely right now with what's going on in the world and coronavirus and the pandemic. Um, my best friend from Glenbrook South, he was my college roommate. He was the best man in my wedding. Um, he was a Marine. He was a Glenbrook South alumni. He was a Marine and he died in Iraq in the war. He was killed in the war. And when he was in Iraq, I think that's, I don't know if you can see it. There's a picture of him back there. Yeah, that's we crazy. can see it. Actually, there's a picture of him by the auditorium. If you go by the auditorium at South, it's there. At any rate, um, when I used to write him letters when he was in Iraq, I would always end my letters with the, the same uh, you know, ending. And it would say, be safe, be smart, and be strong. The same advice is true for entrepreneurs. Be safe. Make sure you're investing your time, your money, and your relationships wisely. Be smart. If you don't know the answer, find the answer or find somebody that can get you the answer and be smart about what you're doing. And finally, just be strong, have a good head on your shoulders, keep yourself healthy, physically, mentally, you know, uh, spiritually, if you're into that stuff, but be strong and per persevere on this journey that you're on. Awesome. <laughs> I think that's where we'll end this interview. Thanks so much, Mark. Of course, man. Thanks for having me on. It's always awesome to see you. Bye. Feel well. Take care, everybody. Be safe. Hey, see you later, Mark.